we haven't seen the Blue Jays at the top of the bunt leaderboards in a long time. Once he hits his first home run, then he's going to take off. Signs were going to be either a batting practice fastball or a nothing ball. Welcome to another episode of Digging In with J.P. and Sevia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. Today, our guest is friend of the program, Luke Maley. We've had him on the show before, but we've never had him as a pitcher. We've had catcher Luke Maley on the show. We've talked about lots of catcher things with him. After that performance on Sunday in Texas, we felt like it was important to have him on and explain his transition from uh, backup catcher to knuckleballing ace. I mean, he's got a 0.00 ERA in the major leagues. He uh, struck out an all-star, a $100 million player. So I think, you know, you go out there and some of these guys just mop it up. I've seen any, you know, I've seen anything from guys actually throwing really hard or guys throwing very slow like I did. Uh, but it was fun to watch Luke Maley. And I think it was, you know, I texted him, like, congratulations. And he said all he wrote about back was mound presence, which I thought <laughs> was funny because that's, you know, that's that was what he was worried about. But, you know, obviously anytime a position player pitches, it's fun to watch. It stinks because usually that means your team's getting kind of beat pretty good. But uh, Luke Maley, I think the sport that he is and the personality he is, I think he'll he'll get to explain us uh, – some some fun things that went through his head during that outing. Yeah, and I thought that he he showed, I guess maybe as you'd expect from a catcher, a little bit more of an idea than some guys who go out there and just kind of pound the zone with high seventies or low eighties or whatever they've got. He showed you a little bit of uh, you know some different speeds. I thought it was pretty cool. So the big story in Blue Jays land basically every week is going to be Vladdy. I don't think we're going to start off talking Vladdy. Every single week, obviously, this uh, this past week he just you know he, he struggled. There's no two ways about it. He didn't get any extra base hits. He hit a lot of ground balls. He struck out a few times. The reason I don't want to spend forever talking about this is I think that you and I are both in agreement, JP, that this is kind of a blip. Is he pressing a little bit? Sure, but I don't think we're anywhere near the point where you start to really be worried or panic about it. I, I'm not at all. I honestly I still think that his bats are, are his at bats are pretty are good. Like the one thing is is you you have to watch with the young guys is is more their emotions more than what the, the product is on the field in that sense. And what I mean is you know he's gonna be a phenomenal player. He's gonna have his ups and downs, he's getting to the big leagues, the whole you know, whatever. But I just wanna see how he reacts. And you know, he got upset at the umpire fine i think that's a little bit of frustration coming in but i'm sure this guy he comes to the field every day prepared and you know he got i thought one you know for a positive i thought it was pretty cool that his dad's he is his smokes first rbi was his dad and then yeah it's a cool uh, little time loop there yeah i thought that was pretty special i mean it's crazy how some of the you know the world works at times you know just things like that happening which i think is pretty cool uh the way that worked out but listen for me, he I don't know if I don't know if he's pressing as much as I'd imagine a home run hitter as most home run hitters, and I heard Albert Pujols say this as well, is once he hits his first home run, then he's gonna take off. And it's true because a lot of times, you know, you go out there and you you just wanna get that one they always say like, Oh, get the monkey off your back, get that one, get that one. And I think that maybe, you know, maybe now it's different and he's just trying to continue, you know, get hits, but I'm sure as, as soon as he hits that home run, his 
weight will come off his shoulders, and then all of a sudden he'll keep on going. And I don't understand to explain it other than that's what hitters, power hitters do. They're always looking forward to that that one home run because then that's that that's that kind of I'm here moment, and this is where I belong. Which also Albert Pujols said. So that's I mean, that's just the way we feel, and so I think that's what's going to happen. Everything you said there is accurate. I just think it's funny that you're speaking from the exact opposite of experience as someone who hit a home run literally right away when he came up to the big leagues. But I do agree with what you're saying. And um, I think that, yeah, once that first one goes over or he just gets a, you know, a multi, even just a multi hit game, just he has a big game. I think you'll get a little easier for him. He's been topping the ball a lot. You know he's not going to hit this many grounders. That's not what his swing is. That's not who he is as a person. So I wanted to talk about Charlie Montoyo today, which today is a good day to talk about. Just got his first ejection, a big uh, milestone in the career of any MOB manager getting tossed for the first time. I think he he did it in a good way. I mean, he was he got in the ump's face, but it wasn't anything ridiculous. And his team was getting a pretty lousy strike zone all night. And he, eventually, you just don't stand for that anymore. And But the thing that about his style that has been interesting to me and different, because we're coming off a year with John Gibbons, and John Gibbons was kind of a let-the-players-play type of manager who didn't try to manufacture too many runs, kind of let it take its course. And he had that type of team as well. I think it depends what type of team you have. But it's interesting. We haven't seen the Blue Jays at the top of the bunt leaderboards in a long time. So the Toronto Blue Jays right now are sixth in the league in bunting. That includes the whole National League. So if they're a National League team, they'd be in the middle. They're at the top of the American League. JP, I thought we could talk a little bit about the bunting revolution happening in Toronto. What bunts you like, what bunts you don't like, how you feel about where Montero is going with a little bit more small ball. Well, let me – I want to – just say that I don't think it's the bunting revolution in the sense of, of I don't I don't think that Charlie Montoyo is going to be a guy who you're going to ever see on the top half of the bunting scope and just because it's Charlie I think right now what's happening is they're trying to win games however they can and the lineup hasn't been too great hasn't been too consistent so how can they try to score some runs because you know honestly where people feel it the most is starting pitchers. And that's what that's what I think, you know, starting pitchers get frustrated of, I mean, dude, when are you guys going to score for me? When are you guys going to do some things for me? And I think that's why you try to score uh, whenever you have an opportunity. Obviously, you know, you try at any at any point. But I'm, but I'm saying where in your American League team, I mean, you're just – this team isn't, manif- isn't built to just go out there and score a ton of runs. And so that's what they're doing. I mean, I'm cool. I think at any point later in games with certain guys and it's a one-run game, I think bunting is necessary. I'm okay with bunting. I think that it's fine, um, especially if you're a lower-in-the-order kind of guy or, or or like first, second hitter. But I don't think that in the sixth inning is valuable. I think I do think that... Charlie also came from Joe Madden, which was very notorious for having very good pitching teams and offensive not being the best offensive teams. So he had to manufacture runs, which he was the king of the safety squeeze, which they got a lot of runs on the safety squeeze. But eventually, you know, Tampa Bay also changed and is and is back to not 
bunting and being an American League team. So I think it's a, lo a lot of it has to do with the cards that you're dealt. But I mean, I, I'm not a, again. I'm not opposed to like a ton of bunts, but I'm also in the American League, man. If you if you're bunting in the American League at a high rate, it's usually means that you're getting your tail kicked or you're not a good team in that sense because you're trying to manufacture runs and as we all know in the american league i mean it's an offensive league yeah and you mentioned the safety squeeze we saw eric sogard with a really beautiful one in that context dropping it down towards that second base and past the pitcher to easily score a run he's a guy who can do it clearly um there are some issues I have with it occasionally. I don't like bunts that take a batter from first to second base. Ba I'm basically you're setting yourself yeah, yes, up. Yes, that's weak. That's weak. You're setting yourself up for two shots at maybe getting a single. Um, I don't like a bunt unless there's kind of a clear route to that run via manufacturing, maybe from second to third so that you set yourself up for the ground ball or the sack fly or, you know, that safety squeeze. I can deal with. There have been a couple of bunts that have been gone down that have taken the runner from, from first to second, and those are the ones where it really grinds my gears because outs are such a precious resource. They're the most precious resource in baseball. You only have 27 outs. So when you're going to give one out away just on the case that someone could get a single and it would score that run, and it might not even score that run because not all singles are going to score a guy from second, uh, I think you're playing to a very specific scenario and you're giving up one of your outs to do that. And I really haven't liked seeing that occasionally. And again, this just feels jarring because of the comparison to the John Givens year. Last year, they bunted three times all season, and that was actually a record for the fewest bunts. So I know that it, it right now it feels magnified the way that it's happening, but it's, it is odd to see the Blue Jays playing this way. And as you said, it, it does come back to the fact that they're not swinging huge bats and scoring a lot of runs they're not hitting a lot of home runs compared to some teams like we talked about before the season the over under for home runs for the leader and we i forget where we put it, it was high 20s or low 30, 30. I 30. Thought, yeah i thought it was 30 yeah okay so let's say it's 30 well right now no one is on pace for that they have a couple they have uh, i think teleza six uh, but yeah, they don't have anyone hitting these big home runs. So I understand the mindset. We need to figure out something different to do. There have been times where I figured, uh, I'm not sure that this, this is the way we should be doing it. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, it's just tough because you have to look at it as, all right. I mean, am I hurting some guy's development or am I helping some guy's development, which is just at least having it in their back pocket. I mean, Sogard is a guy who's a veteran and he's a guy who's a, been in the National League and he's done well and so he knows he's he's just one of those scrappy baseball players in that sense um who knows how to play the game well so when but you, how, when you tell think him, about how hot he I mean I I did quite like that safety squeeze I don't want to uh rag on it but think how hot he is too like having him bunt right now the guy's hitting like Ted Williams yeah but I think he also knows right like this is he's he's swinging the bat well but he also is very aware with veteran guys like that who have been up and down. He's very aware of the role that he has to play, and that's getting it done any way that he can. And so, I mean, I think that's good that he I, – I was fine with the safety squeeze there, and he, and he did it perfectly. But, I mean, it's just – it just stinks because right now the offense is struggling, and a lot of guys, it's not just one. It's a lot of guys up and down, which also creates it a tougher situation because if you have – 
a few guys, you know, two or three guys that are scuffling and other guys that are going, like you could survive and you could still, you know, score runs and, and stuff. But when everybody's kind of scuffling, it, it permeates throughout the entire lineup. I mean, you see it yesterday with, with the, I mean, they had like one hit for a while and at at the beginning of the season, it's like, okay, no, it doesn't matter. But after a while, after a point, you like start to look at the scoreboard. And you're like, uh, okay, we only have one, we only have one out, we only have one out. And you don't really notice it at much on the scoreboard as much as like, dang, I'm back out on defense already. I'm back out on defense already. So you feel the pressure. You feel everybody trying to do everything and somebody, and somebody trying to be the guy to get them out. And I think, you know, bunting alleviates a little bit of that pressure but you're right. I don't agree with it on a lot of on a lot of different occasions. I do think there's times where it's good, but I don't. I mean, it, this is not what Toronto is going to be at long term. I think you know this is just what they're doing again with the time being, of with what the cards that they're dealt. I'm gonna allow myself to be a little bit of a hypocrite here for a second. I do want to say that the suicide squeeze might be my favorite play in baseball when you when you're straight up going for it and you're opening yourself up to the possibility that the guy misses the bunt and the person just gets tagged embarrassingly at home i love the uh the gall that goes into that play and i know that when i used to play baseball video games like on computer or whatever growing up if i had a runner at third and zero or one out I would probably go for a suicide squeeze like a good 50 to 60% of the time. So we haven't seen that yet. If we are going to see more of this type of baseball played by this team, I would love to see the suicide squeeze at some point. Uh, Yeah, I mean, suicide squeeze is a fun play, actually. I mean, it's it's one of those where you practice, you practice, practice, and when it happens, everybody's adrenaline kind of gets going, and um, it is really fun, but... I, I kind of, I mean, as a catcher, I think it's fun because I know that I can come out and get the ball because if the guy swings and they're in trouble. But um, it, it's. It, Did you I ever catch a suicide squeeze where you just like stood no, there and no, tagged no, the no, guy? No, no, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't know if specifically, but I mean, I know that's happened on stealing and stealing home. Um, but I've never had, I don't think I've ever had anybody bunt through a suicide squeeze, which. You know, as a catcher, that's that's what you're hoping for, right? You're it's like, oh, I hope this guy, yeah, I hope this guy just completely butchers this, and I can just tag this guy out, and they all look like idiots. But it is it is an interesting play, and I and what's funny to me too is I think pitchers, for the most part, you know, there's some good pitchers that are under control, but suicide squeeze will bring the worst athlete out of a pitcher because it's like panic mode, and you know, then they they flip a ball and it's to the backstop, and the guy gets to second base. So, I mean. It would be an interesting play, but again, I, it's just a it's just a tough time. I mean, that's that's what it is, what it is, and you you don't expect people to hit like this and to struggle at this clip the entire season. But you know, again, they they have to bunt, they have to bunt, and they're trying to they're trying to get ways to get guys on and see if they can get things going and score some runs specifically as well to help starting pitching, man, because it's not easy to pitch when you're constantly behind all the time. You you would kind of like to have a little bit of freedom on the mound and say okay i have a three-run lead i can just go out there and kind of not cruise but pitch a little bit more effortlessly as opposed to like lever like every inning is zero 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 and you're out there every five minutes it seems like because you're not really getting too many hits 
Yeah, Stroman and Trent Thornton are both right at the top of the lack of run support leaderboards. I think they're both at around one point something runs per nine, which is absolutely ridiculous, especially when you consider that in modern baseball with how good bullpens can be, often a lot of those runs are scored at the beginning of the game. So speaking of pitchers, let's get Luke Maley on the line to tell us about that epic performance on Sunday in Texas. Uh, the rare um, opportunity to pitch in a major league game, which is funny, as I said earlier, me and Luke debuted uh, on the same exact mound uh, on the major leagues as a pitcher. What were you thinking coming into that game, uh, juice-wise in the sense of were you jacked up, were you kind of just like whatever? And then one thing for me that stuck out was that vantage point. I've always never looked at the field from that just like view it always has looked out to as a catcher obviously we which we both I was and you are uh I always looked out to center field so was that was that view looking into home plate and you saw how close the stadium was was it as crazy it was for me as it for you uh totally I think the vantage point thing is the most underrated part about it um along with and I don't know how you felt about this but for me I just couldn't believe how much closer the hitter looked from the mound than the pitcher looks from home plate. Um, I mean, it felt like if they even touched it, that it was someone was going to hit a rocket right back at me and I was going to be a goner. I mean, that's what it just literally felt like. So that was the biggest part about it for me. But once he threw a couple pitches and once I kind of found the strike zone, it, it started to calm down a little bit and slow down for me. So it wasn't horrible, but definitely something that I hope I don't get used to, but you know, it's always nice to say that you did it. One of the things that's interesting about that dynamic is that you've got a catcher throwing to a catcher. So I wanted to ask you what, how you felt about how Danny called the game for you and uh, what was your discussion with him like about what you wanted to throw? Because I know last time you were on the podcast, we talked about your discussion with Kendris Morales when he was trying to pitch and you guys didn't know what he threw. That was a little bit of an adventure. This one may be easier, but how did that go down? Yeah, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to it other than, you know, we play catch together every day, you know, before batting practice starts and everything. So, um, when we're just kind of messing around, we'll throw each other knuckleballs. And I think he started to see how good mine was in spring training. Um, you know, the first few times that I played catch with him. So when he kind of heard the whispers that I might be going out there, he's like, you got to make sure you show that to me. You know, we have to throw that today. And I told him no problem. Like I definitely will. So we just went through the signs basically told him that the signs were going to be either a batting practice fastball or a knuckleball. And, um, you know, pretty self-explanatory after that. Just make sure, you know, make sure you're calling pitches that gets the guy to throw strikes. And fortunately for us, I was able to do that with both of them for the most part. So, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of trickery to it. I mean, either the ball was coming in there with no spin or it was coming in there with spin and, and it wasn't going to be very hard. Well, what's funny, I mean, the, a lot of the, this conversation is because, you know, fans don't ever really get to understand or hear, you know, how a pitcher or how a player, when he pitches, feels because it's it's just one of those things that is very rare and you won't do it again for a long time, I'm sure. But it's, it's, it's fun to kind of, I mean, it's one of those things where it sucks because you're getting beat, but it's fun because it actually is the one time, like, I'm sure you haven't been on a mound since you were in Little League and then all of a sudden you're in the major leagues and you're on a pitching mound. So then all of a sudden you're on the major leagues and you're in a pitcher's mound and then you strike out an all-star. And then you're like, obviously, in your head, you know, like, you know, you're facing a position player. But for you, 
you know, how fun is that? You have to make the most of it. I mean, there's so many challenges in this game. If you don't learn to have fun and take them in stride, then you're just going to drag yourself completely nuts. So, you know, with, it's, if it can provide the team with any sort of a little break, any sort of way to kind of take the take the sting away from, you know, kind of getting your ass kicked for three and a half hours, then that's what you take away from it. So, you know, fortunately, I didn't go out there and give up another five or six spots because that would have just been depressing. But, um, you know, the fact that I was able to get out there and also kind of get him out with a pitch that not many people can throw, I think it was, you know, it's a good way to kind of step back and just kind of have some fun. Luke, you said you were throwing batting practice fastballs. I think you were being a little bit ungenerous to yourself because uh, you did dial it up on that last pitch, which I thought was funny because you see position players normally living in that 79, 81 range, and that's where you're living. Then suddenly that last pitch comes in at 87. Did you have some kind of plan like you were going to hold that one back? Because you know, if we're going to dig into the numbers here, StatCast had you topping out at 83 as a catcher. So where did that uh, that big big league heat come from? Uh, the big league heat. That's a generous word. Um, I'm going to say that it was definitely spontaneous. I did not plan on even lifting my arm when I woke up on Sunday morning to tell you the truth. So when I got out there, the last thing I had in mind was that I was going to let one eat at all. I mean, I was trying to rely on the knuckleball as much as possible because you just, it doesn't require a whole lot of energy. But the, the second, the last swing, the second, the last pitch was a high, real slow. I took something off of a knuckleball and I, I believe it was the third or fourth consecutive one I'd thrown him. And he, he had a real delayed kind of emergency swing on a pitch that was, um, kind of borderline top of the strike zone. And I think it was, it, I didn't look at the radar gun. I kind of made a point not to, but I bet it was around 60 miles an hour. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I'm catching right here, like this is for sure just a heater kind of elevated and you just throw it right past him because, you know, you kind of slowed a guy down. And I also hadn't thrown anything. I was pretty confident over 80 miles an hour yet. So I said, you know, this is the perfect time. We can maybe get a punch out here. He could just as easily hit it in the seats, but I was pretty sure I could at least get him to uh, be late on, you know, what at the time was my best fastball. How's uh, how's the arm feel the next day? Because that's another thing um, that people don't realize is, you know, you go out there and just as – and this is how hard the game is, and that's, you know, part of what I like to talk about, what I talk about. The game is so hard that you're a catcher. You throw a 1,000 balls a day which people don't realize you probably throw more than base, more baseballs than anybody. All of a sudden you throw one inning off the mound and you, you can't lift your arm just because of the slope of the mound. How, I mean, how crazy is that? And how did you feel the next day? Well, I actually felt okay. I mean, I've always had a pretty good arm. I, I tell people all the time when, you know, hum, humble, humble brag, humble, humble brag. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the truth. I'm telling well, you, you like it, it's, uh, it's it's been just sort of one of those things where and, and this will kind of tie into when you talk about fans and things like that is um, I get asked a lot like what my throwing program is and I always tell them that it, it's basically in the off season if my arm doesn't hurt then I throw and if it starts hurting then I stop right so you know fortunately for me that's worked out to the point where you know and even the other day when I was pitching I knew that if my arm started hurting I was going to call him out there and tell him I can't throw anymore. It hurts too bad. Um, but fortunately, it felt great. And yesterday, I showed up to the park, and it's sore 100% sore. I mean, I think to get an appreciation for what it's like to 
just the land, you know, landing on a downward slope that you're not used to is going to put some stress, I think, more so probably on your back and your hip than anything else. But fortunately, I showed up yesterday and I said, you know what, if I can get five or 10 throws from 60 or 70 feet, I'm going to feel pretty good and, and I'll be ready to go on Tuesday. So that's where we are. Luke, I know you're a team guy and you'll you'll do what's asked of you. If they ask you to go out on the mound again, I'm sure you'll do it without question. But if it were up to you, would you like to retire with this outing with the 0.00 ERA or did doing this make you think, eh, it might be fun to try this again? No, never again. Never <laughs> again. I mean, I, what I want to do is uh, <laughs> what I want to do is get to the point where we're playing on a team where it just never, ever happens. You know I mean? It's, it's a real fun thing. Don't get me wrong. And I enjoyed it, but, um, you know, I just, I hope that a position player pitching, you know, doesn't ever become a disaster at some point in this game. And I, you know, you just, you never know. I mean, you don't want to see somebody go out there who's having a nice year and all of a sudden he's got a bum elbow or, God forbid someone hits a line drive right back at his face or something like that. So I, I hope I don't see it ever again in the history of the game. But that being said, I'm sure I will. And I just hope that I'm on the other team that's watching that and it's not ours. How's the, how's the vibe? How's the vibe been? Uh, you guys get back home, which is there's nothing better than getting back home, obviously. How's the how's the tone being set throughout the clubhouse and and you're and you're one of the leaders. I mean, I can care less. Uh, people don't understand. I've played with you. You're a guy who every day comes to the park uh, with a good attitude and really really is a, a special person to have on a team. So, how's that been? You know, I think that the vibe is always evolving, um, and and we have a good one right now. It's just that we have a frustrated one right now, and that's just the nature of baseball. You're going to hit those patches, um, but fortunately, you know it's it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's by design, but it was certainly anticipated. You know, if, when you have guys that are kind of just getting their big league feet wet um, as everyday guys, and I, and I hope that makes sense. What I mean by that is, you know, it's one thing to kind of just be up in the big league. It's another thing to where it's your first year where you're being counted on and you're in the middle of a lineup and, you know, your at-bats are a little bit more magnified. And we have a few of those, and we have some pitchers that are doing that as well. Um, and I think it's from that perspective, everybody's handling it really, really well. It's just unfortunate because, you know, sometimes your bats go cold and sometimes you don't get the best starting pitching for a few days. And, you know, everybody wonders if it's the end of the world and it's just, you know, if you have a veteran team, usually you're able to weather that a little bit easier. And, um, so we're, we're handling it fine. Sometimes the perception isn't always the reality, but, uh, I've been very impressed with the way the younger players have handled this everyday experience and handled some adversity. Luke, uh, JP asked you a, a good question about the clubhouse. I'm going to ask you a bit of a stupider question, to be fair, but uh, last time we had you on the podcast, you had taken up the mantle as clubhouse DJ, and I wanted to get the update on that. Is that still your job? Have you been dethroned? What is the situation? Uh, the situation with the music is always fluid. Um, I've definitely taken care of the post game again. Um, we've got a few new additions this year. We've got, actually, we've got a little bit of like a strobe light situation for post game, which, um, we're very grateful for our clubhouse staff did an excellent job. And as far as the pregame stuff, we've got a lot of good music buffs this year. Um, Buckholtz, um, Clayton Richard, 
you know, just name a couple of the guys that have been around. I mean, Axford's still kicking around. We've got a few guys that can really, um, you know, you, you trust their, you trust their phone when it gets plugged in, when you see them, they're heading toward, you know, plugging that thing in, everybody relaxes a little bit because they know it's going to be fine one way or another. Might be a different genre, but they'll get it done. But as far as post game, I'm still in charge. Is there anyone whose phone gets plugged in and everybody is a little bit worried? Um, there's a few guys that will, they know who they are. Um, they can get a little bit spacey. They'll plug their phone in and then they will. And what I mean by plug phone, I mean, it's, you know, 2019 plug phone means you just hit the Bluetooth button and you connect, but you have to be within a certain range. Anybody that's been to our clubhouse knows it's about as long as a football field. So if you decide that you're going to be the music guy and then all of a sudden you decide you're going to go to the training room, it's kind of up to that person to address that and make sure that, you know, they pass the music off to somebody else because their phone's not going to be in range anymore. So there's a few guys where it'll start to stutter a little bit. And those are the guys you have to watch out for. Luke, thank you for coming on. I know we were just, we wanted to have fun with you. Uh, you're always the pro, um, but I know that as a player getting on the mound, it's nothing that you ever want to do, but it's, it's cool because I'm sure Evelyn will be able to at some point understand that her daddy also not only was a major leaguer, but then got the pitch uh, in the major leagues. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's something I'll definitely remember. And I'm definitely in a weird, twisted way. I'm glad it happened. It's interesting to me that Luke just absolutely no appetite for pitching again. I would have thought that after such a nice, I know, like, I know the answer that you never want your team to be in that spot. I, I get that and I respect it, but it's an 162 game season. Like, even if you have an incredibly good team, that type of thing is going to happen once in a while. And I thought that the way he had he had that knuckleball going and that uh, that fastball, the way he could dial it up to those mid to high 80s, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. But if, if this is it, then uh, I'm glad that we captured the moment and uh, that Luke got to have that. He's a pro, right? I mean, he's, he's a guy who has been around for a while. And so he it's tough to... I, it is tough to kind of have fun about talking about pitching when you're the person that's throwing because you know that, one, how hard it is because pitchers – like for me, I got done pitching in Texas and everybody wanted to ask me, okay, talk to me about that inning. When our when really I had felt bad because all of our pitchers had just gotten their butt whooped and I go out there and I put a zero up and it's not, all, it's not anything other than I'm a position player and guys – you know, it's position players get hitters out only because hitters want no part of it because it's a lose-lose situation, really. So it's tough to get, like, super fired up about it. I'm sure deep down inside he had the time of his life because when I ran out there, I remember, like, just smiling from ear to ear because it's the, it's the first time that you literally, for most, have been on a mound since you were in Little League because, you know, you were a good position player for, the you know, your entire career, so you just were a position player. But... You know, you don't want to see it. And what he's right, honestly, I've had one of my good friends do a mop-up thing like that in AAA, and he tried to throw hard, and he got Tommy John, and he got released the next year. So you you also don't want to see it because guys can get hurt. But it's fun, and it does give the dugout some laughs in a time where you kind of need it. And so, I mean, it's kind of – it has its pros and cons, but I agree in him as a winner and as a catcher, which you would expect – he doesn't want to see that. He wants to be on. He wants to have a team that it doesn't happen, which I understand as well, because then that means that you're usually 
kicking the other team's tail. I get it. I get it. But uh, I would have I would have liked to see him lean into the joy of it a little bit more. But I but I understand. So today in our when we're going to talk a little bit about what's going around around the league, I wanted to touch on David Price and the issue with the Red Sox going to the White House. Now this has been an issue in a number of sports teams in a number of leagues since the Trump presidency. Obviously, very polarizing president and there are quite a few people who don't want to go to the white house which um you know depending on your background especially is understandable what i think is interesting about this particular situation is that normally players kind of say i don't want to go or as a team we've decided not to go and it's kind of left at that it's not a big thing whereas what happened with the red sox is the team was very divided and then the list came out of people who wanted to go and people who didn't want to go and to be frank, it was almost exclusively on racial lines. The white players generally went, and the players who were black or Latino generally did not go. And so a reporter pointed that out that with Alex Corr, the basically the tweet was Alex Corr has confirmed newspaper report he will not make the treat to meet the president. So basically, it's the White Sox who will be going. So that's what the what the reporter said. And then David Price amplified that tweet. And he said, "I feel like more than thirty-eight thousand people should see this." He retweeted it. So what I think is interesting about this situation is that Price is basically, you know, making explicit what his teammates are doing and in a sense, I think, calling out his teammates. So the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is to hear what how you think this would affect an MLB locker room, one player, because everyone made their choices. I think in most situations, if people make their choices on this, those choices are more or less at least publicly respected, maybe behind closed doors things are said, but they're publicly respected and everyone kind of goes their separate ways. And I think Price's statement is a little bit unusual and him really pointing out like, yeah, it's the white guys who are going. So I wanted to get your take on how you think that would affect the Red Sox locker room going on, going forward. Uh, Honestly, and I know that it's been a a thing in the past or whatever, it's kind of getting to a point where it's just, it's too much it it shouldn't be this much attention to whether i want to go or not go to the president to you know go see the president because we won a championship it's almost like to me i think that it's lost it's kind of allure because it it's become so it's like such a big issue now it's and it's become so much bigger of not a not a even of a thing where all oh, you get to go and kind of you know get congratulated for winning a championship then it's like you know a bipartisan thing or this or that and it's like it's just it honestly it's it's exhausting i just wish that people were able to we could all kind of not worry about stupid things like that but you know listen politics is a really 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 sensitive subject especially now more than ever that i remember um, and I've and I've enjoyed politics. It I, undoubtedly, I think that that's gonna make it weird in clubhouses. I mean, I think that listen, even in dating, right? Like uh, politics is a huge part of of you know if when you're with somebody or you're this or that, and you, you guys don't see politically eye to eye, that there's a lot of differences. And I've been in clubhouses where there's been political conversations where it's almost gotten to like legitimately like throwing punches and so i think that's one of those things where i mean i just wish you you have to be you have to talk about it i don't know it's just a tough it's just such a tough subject but i think 
hundred percent in the in the scheme of of a team and what Price went out and said, which Price is being, uh, yeah, I don't know if he's trying to like be the person now who's like super outspoken or whatever it was. I love David Price. I think he's a phenomenal person. Um, but as he's done this on a few things this year and it, I don't know. I think for sure there's going to be people upset about it. And I, and I hated to see that when they, when they released the list and I hated, I, I, I saw the divide and I was like, gosh, it sucks, man. Because that's exactly, I knew exactly what was going to be said from that. There's nothing good that could be said from that. So it, it's, it's just a tough time. man. And, and I think in our country, it's something that uh, obviously you, you know, it's, you're either on one side or the other and it's and it's kind of sad to me to see that you can't that it's like so such a line drawn in the sand but it is what it is and i think that team will suffer because of it you said it wasn't as much when you were playing so i wanted to ask you about like you said you've seen some heated arguments but what 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 was it like i don't know say I know there's election midterms, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things that go on. But like, let's say we've got 2020 coming up. We had 2016 a few years ago. Like, what does that do in an MLB clubhouse? Do people talk about that on the regular, or is it maybe like three or four people out of 25 that are interested? Does it find a way to creep into the day-to-day conversation? Because in regular life, like even when you like, I don't know, Thanksgiving is a classic example that people use of like, oh, you go home for Thanksgiving and there's like this person's talk about this and this person's talk about that and everyone gets in a fight. Like Thanksgiving's not about politics, but politics finds its way into Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, in a, in, a, in a team dynamic, I think that there is a lot of times where you try to avoid it because you know inevitably with a group of three people, you could you could have three different views. With a group of 25 to 30, you're going to have a lot of different views. And then it becomes usually, and when I've been around and to see these things, it becomes a very innocent conversation to then a real uh, firm and upset conversation. And I think that's just the way it's the way the way that it has come to be is that it is such a separation on both sides that that's how it it is i think it's inevitable to have one thought and the person have the other and i mean it's completely on different sides of the spectrum and not have a little friction sometimes guys take it upon themselves to like throw comments out there um just because they want to they want to have their opinion voiced and then somebody else will drop in and say something i think there's people that can have the conversations cordially i've also had players that don't believe you know don't really believe in the same things or or don't have the same views and and have good conversations a lot of times what i think people struggle with is that it they're not as as educated on it as they need to be like they don't know enough about it right like they're talking but they're kind of talking out of the side of their mouth and then that's when it just becomes a, an ordeal but in the clubhouse setting it does make for an issue and it does make for tension and it does make for you know people not being happy with other people i mean uh, it's just you're the human element if somebody if you and somebody don't see eye to eye and then all of a sudden it gets into like this crazy, you know, back and forth banter. I mean, it it's going to piss you off. Um, and again, I do think that it'll affect that clubhouse. Guys are never, guys won't say like, 
oh yeah, well, I mean, we're we're fine. It's not a big deal. I mean, they'll say that, but one hundred percent, dude, you're gonna be pissed off if you're on one side or the other at the other at the other side. It just is what it is, and hopefully, you have a person and a manager, whoever it is, that can feel the room and kind of go out there and and set the tone and maybe make it a little bit of a a message, but. Undoubtedly, dude, you can't you can't go and have those conversations and not feel some kind of not animosity is not the right word, but just not not the gel togetherness that you would feel otherwise. So I don't think that they need to have the conversation period, which I think is kind of, you know, I I just it sucks, but it is what it is. All right. So, David Price, definitely respect for voicing your opinion and uh, taking your stand. But. It uh yeah, it's gonna create some interesting dynamics in Boston going forward. But you know, maybe I think it's fair if he thinks that taking a stand on what he takes a stand on is more important to him than that. Um, as a human being, it's hard to take umbrage with that. So from that relatively low note, we're gonna end it on uh, a would you rather. Last week it was quite uh grim. No doubt. There's a lot of death and destruction. So this week I thought we would go a little bit more, a little bit brighter, let's say. So I'm going to give you the choice between two abilities, kind of like superpowers that you could have and which one you'd prefer. So would you rather be able to run as fast as a cheetah? So that means like whenever you're sprinting, you can have cheetah speed. Obviously, you can't just run around at 55 miles an hour or whatever they run constantly. Like you can't do it for two hours or whatever. You've got those cheetah bursts of speed if you need them. Or be able to fly, but at slightly slower than walking speed. So you can fly, but it's just going to be a very casual float type of scenario. Or... You can have those quick cheetah bursts. I I think for me at at any point, if you're ever asking me if I have the ability to fly, even regardless of the speed, I'm going to take the flying because you're going to be able to get to places that you couldn't get to otherwise. Um, so I think that it'd be one of the coolest things if I could just like go off my balcony and just go. You know what? I'm gonna I'm not gonna take the elevator and have to just walk to a coffee shop i'm just going to casually hop off this thing and just fly to the nearby coffee shop and it might take me a little bit longer but i'll enjoy the views while i can i'll say what's up to the faster birds that are passing by me and you know maybe have a little chat with them and but i think for me flying undoubtedly is what i would be doing if i had a superhero possibility um Although the cheetah thing would be nice because I was very slow as a player. So I would have really enjoyed the opportunity to hit a ground ball and then put on the cheetah speed to see what it's like to have an infield single. But other than that, I'm taking flying. You could probably get back in baseball and carve out a career as someone who bunts every time (laughs) and gets a single. Uh, I didn't think about that. I, cause I was on board with you for the flying, you know, time doesn't matter as much. You can do like the whole phrase the way the crow flies you can cut corners on a lot of things and probably actually get there faster than you would have walking obviously you can fly up into big trees and there's a lot of cool stuff with flying i was 100 on board with flying and then i started thinking about if there are ways for me to be a cheetah and uh you know carve out a ridiculous professional sports career like i could be the next usain bolt 
I could get all that money that's involved in that, become like a huge international superstar. And also there's potential for being a criminal if you want to do that. I think I'd rather just make millions as Usain Bolt than be a top-notch guy at robbing liquor stores. But there's there's options out there that are making me rethink it. Uh, I also think that if you started flying that slow, you know how anything good in your life, this is one of the saddest things about life overall. This is, we're going to get philosophical about this. Anything good in your life, you kind of get used to at a certain point. Like even, I don't know, yeah. say you, like yeah. you, you rise out of poverty and you become incredibly wealthy and you have a cool mansion and like you've, and you've worked amazingly hard and your life has gone exactly how you wanted it to. A cert, like, I don't know, four months after having a mansion, that mansion is your house. So my worry is that that flying, because of its slowness, would get kind of boring because you've gotten over the, oh, I can fly. Whereas the cheetah thing might continue to have utility even as it stops being exciting. Yeah, no, I can under, I can understand that. I can see that view, but there's still, I think, I don't know. I don't know for me how flying would get old in the sense of because I can go to different, you know, I can take off from here and I can head to Cuba and I can make it and not have to worry. It'll take me a while. But <laughs> how long is that? How long would it take to I'm, walk to Cuba? And then imagine how much longer. Well, you can't, take, you guess. can't walk to Cuba because it's yeah, over I'm the water. Not, I'm so like, okay. What's how, what's the distance? Um, from, from Key West, it's like 90 miles from here. It's, I don't know, however many miles. 100, 100. Okay. So it's like traditional walking speed about three miles an hour. So we're talking about like a thirty-hour-plus yeah, flight. That's to fine. Cuba. But you can still you can <laughs> still do it. You can't run across the water. Pack some snacks. Oh, well, listen, dude. As a bird, I would be able to kind of grab a little fish on the way, some little bait fish that's on the top of the water, and I could eat. Like I just think that you can do a ton more things in the air than you can on the ground. So I'm still I do like your I do like the way that you looked at it though, that you could become this super freak athlete and make a ton of money from it. it that is cool. And I'll give you that, but I still would be a fly. I'd, I'd like to fly. All right. JP Aaron Sebio would like to fly. I don't know if we knew that before. We might've been able to guess that concludes this episode of digging with JP Aaron Sebia. We appreciate you guys continuing to listen, subscribe, review on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We appreciate you and we will see you next week.